This is Market Insights, the Market Pulse podcast by Oanda. I'm Johnny Hart and you're listening to the Market Insights Market Pulse podcast. Let's join our experts, Oanda Senior Market Analyst Craig Earlham in London and Trader Nick in the United States. Good afternoon, guys. Good afternoon. Hey, Johnny. Let's start with the latest earnings news from uh, big players announcing their results, including Alphabet and Microsoft, Nick. Yeah, it's been a uh, big week already in terms of markets due to the earnings. This being such an important week for megatech across the board. We have Meta, speaking of which, shortly after this podcast comes up, after hours, we've got Meta reporting. But the ones from yesterday that were, of course, in everybody's sites were Microsoft and Alphabet, as you mentioned. And, and Microsoft, we'll start on a high note. Microsoft had a really solid report beating expectations in, in almost all areas. And in some ways, this initially, if you guys saw right at the end of the New York close yesterday, there was a real strong tick up in the NASDAQ and, and across the board, equities saw a boost. And um, it makes sense, you know, Microsoft being a powerhouse in the S&P 500, it makes up a large component to the S&P. So it's a big driver. So, so that beat was great. Where markets are scared here today, at the time of recording, markets are trading lower, is on the alphabet side of things. You've got some disappointment there. Now, I will, before we go into the, the disappointment, which basically was uh, lackluster earnings compared to what was expected, what was positive out of this report was that ad spending was actually up, which is a good thing, uh, not just for Google, but for a look into the economy. You know, in one case, uh, or one important thing to think about when it comes to earnings reports like this is that it extends beyond just where stocks will trade. It also, broadly speaking, can be somewhat of an indicator as to what you know economies around the world are looking uh, looking for, especially these mega tech names like uh, you know an Alphabet, which has such a, a, a important indicator in its ad spending. Of course, if businesses are spending more on ads and consumers are interacting with those ads, that shows there's some growth there. And and this picking back up is, of course, a positive sign. Where it wasn't so satisfying, like I said, is that these things also have been putting the entire market on their back. And so earnings expectations have been really, really high. And so any disappointment like we saw out of Google on their numbers, of course, is going to pull the market down with it. So anyways, that, that's kind of a, a high level look at the two big ones. There were other companies reporting, but for the purpose of this podcast, those two uh, being the kind of important draws there. Craig, did you have anything to add on Microsoft and, uh, and Alphabet here? Yeah, I think the one thing that really stood out for me is that we've got two mega tech companies here. They're both competing in the cloud space. They're both competing in AI. While you've just run through the numbers there, I think the, the big disparity between the two goes back to the AI side, it's ChatGPT. And uh, what we've seen, the big difference I think between the two results is that while Microsoft saw stronger growth on their cloud business linked to AI uh, and companies looking to use their AI capabilities uh, in order uh, and therefore utilizing the cloud business, while reporting that some of their existing clients are looking to kind of pair back their usage of the cloud business, looking trying to find efficiencies uh, and therefore trying to look for cost savings, the AI element meant that it gave it overall a boost. Uh, and Alphabet didn't have that. They saw, they referenced the cost cutting, they referenced the efficiencies. They still 
reported, I think it was what, 22% growth, something like that, which was shy of expectations of around 26%. Uh, but they didn't see the boost that Microsoft did because of that cloud thing. And then on the open, we, we saw Alphabet was down 8%. Um, uh, and uh, and Microsoft was up 4%. So we're talking about a 12% swing on these results. And I think that probably has a lot to do with it because, as you say, the, the ad revenue is a really important uh, feature uh, for uh, Alphabet in particular. Um, but at the same time, what's viewed as the future is it's kind of who's going to be first in the race for AI and who's going to capitalize most on the race. Where's the growth business going to be? Well, AI. Uh, and while Alphabet is making big strides on its own AI offering, Microsoft has been first past the post and it's reaping the rewards. And that's been very evident in these results. And I think that's why we've seen such a big disparity between how Wall Street has viewed both of these earnings reports. That's definitely a good point to be made there. Again, the race for AI is um, is not only uh, important to these two companies when they face off, but it's also important to the to the to the market. You look at the Nasdaq; it's led the other major indices uh, across the board uh, by a long shot this year. A lot of that perhaps could be argued that it's the the AI um, you know most benefiting AI components of the of the uh, stock market. So I think that's definitely a good point to to be made there. Uh, I also want to turn our attention to just briefly the PMI numbers that we ha- we saw out of, uh, well, we had a, a triple report. We saw the UK, uh, European, and um, US PMI numbers. Uh, yesterday, I know I can speak just briefly on the, the US numbers. We saw a pop in the dollar as PMI numbers were strong out of the United States. Um, and, and with that, it's it, to me, it's like PMI numbers are, of course, important. But what seems to be the ongoing trend is just consistent, strong, economic data out of the US and you add this to the list uh, of all the things that we've been seeing recently out of the US, the dollar still in what I would say is a pretty good overall uptrend on the daily and weekly chart. Um, this is, you know, it, it just seems to be a nice bounce point for the dollar and uh, could perhaps be headed back to the highs, but we'll see how that one wants to play out. We do have PCE numbers coming out. The ECB has some effect there uh, and, and CPI is on the horizon as well. Those things probably most important. But Craig, what about um, UK and Europe? I mean, both, P, uh, again, presented their, their PMI numbers, uh, which had some interesting results. What did you see there? Ultimately, they're both still soft. And I think Europe's the, almost the bigger concern at this point, but we've got contraction territory across the board at this point, And that's therefore a major concern. It's less of a concern about manufacturing. Of course, if you're working manufacturing, you may think differently. Uh, But manufacturing globally has been in a recession now throughout this year. Uh, So those really poor manufacturing PMIs is nothing new. And it's also Germany aside, uh, maybe Italy aside, it's a relatively small part of the economy. For the UK, similar to the US, it's around 10% of the economy. So the services is far more important. But the fact that that's in contraction territory as well is a bigger concern, ultimately, in terms of the direction of the overall economy. The good thing that's coming out of these reports is that we are seeing the kind of input pressures for inflation are starting to fall. Uh, so that signals that we're going to see further declines over the coming months. Fuel, energy, is that that's the kind of one of the upsides uh, from that perspective. But So I think there's, from an economic standpoint, there's only really bad news to take from this. And I think Europe's probably already in recession, or at least the euro area is probably already in recession. Uh, The UK probably heading for one. Um, But the good thing is that we are seeing signs of progress on inflation and 
uh, you've, you've kind of got to take the wins where you can uh, at this point. But I think what the most interesting that came from those PMIs was the impact that it had on oil prices, or at least the contributing impact that it had on oil prices. Because oil, in the aftermath of, uh, of the Hamas attacks in Israel, um, surged uh, rapidly uh, uh, well above $90 a barrel. And we've actually seen it pull back around 5% over the course of the last couple of days. And I think there's probably two factors, one of which I think those PMIs were a reminder that Europe is aiming for a best case scenario of no growth and probably accepting that a recession is on the way. And other countries are not performing particularly well either. And I think there's fears even with the US that the resilience that we're seeing in the short term is going to come at cost in the medium term because if the Fed has to keep rates high for long or raise rates again, that it will will eventually tip the economy over the edge because we're just not seeing the past hikes having enough of an impact more broadly around the economy. It's having an impact on housing, it's having an impact on manufacturing, but elsewhere in the economy, it's it, the, the resilience is still there. Uh, so I do think the these PMIs were a bit of a reminder. And of course, the fact that over the last uh, four or five days, the concerns w- with those attacks was that it could develop into a wider conflict and there's a lot of oil producing nations in the region and it's already an incredibly tight market, but there's been, it seems there's been a lot more of an effort to, or there's been, there's been a big effort to try and de-escalate the situation and stop it developing into something broader. Whether that's going to be successful, only time will tell. But the last 48 hours, I think traders are less fearful of a wider conflict than they were, say, one week ago. Indeed, it was um, the domino effect that everybody was fearing with a possible invasion of Gaza leading to the Lebanon border getting involved, Hezbollah, Iran and so on. But certainly, as you said, the last couple of days, there seems to be a real momentum behind not ceasefire, but something happening other than a full-scale invasion. I wanted to ask you about the Bank of Canada, Nick. Uh, You mentioned off-air. You called it a hawkish hold. (laughs) Why do you say that, as far as its rates are concerned? Yes, definitely a a hawkish hold, and in some ways following suit to what we got from the Fed, where they kind of introduced this this mantra or this idea. Um, In terms of central banks around the world, again, as Craig just pointed out, we're seeing some slowdown. So I think that you know central banks are are savvy in in many ways. They're probably looking around the room at uh, the demand for oil. So Canada's uh, economy is, of course, largely built around oil exports, and so they're probably looking around the room, if you will, at you know some slowdown in Europe um, and some concerns in terms of, of slowing demand in some ways uh, as a possible risk. And, and they may not want to break anything by raising too far, too fast kind of thing. Uh, and, and again, in some cases, perhaps following uh, in the footsteps of the Fed. Uh, now, tomorrow we also have the ECB. So it's a week full of central bank data uh, or, or announcements, ideas. So, Craig, with the ECB tomorrow, any final thoughts on BOC? Anything to add there? And, and I guess, how are you prepping for the ECB tomorrow? Yeah, in terms of the Bank of Canada's hawkish hold, I think that's just become a kind of a favorite of central banks when they're nearing the end of their tightening cycle. They want to remain hawkish to maximize their efforts to get every get the maximum bang for the buck, as it were, uh, while not necessarily wanting to raise further and break the economy, as you've alluded to. So they're using their language a lot in order to try and do that. With the Fed, they're using their policymakers sending them out on force every week to really reaffirm that hawkish message. Perhaps they're too good a job uh, if you look at the movement that we've seen 
seen in bond yields. But with the Bank of Canada, I think they've just used their statement just to remind people that they could raise again. I think they've held now for three or four meetings. Uh, so I think this was just a reminder that that doesn't necessarily mean they're done. Uh, and just to take a few remarks from their statement, they, they said that they're prepared to raise the policy rate further if needed. That's a, a nice obvious one. Uh, they said the preferred measures of core inflation, so little downward momentum, which suggests again that more is needed or more may be needed in some form, whether that's holding high for longer or doing uh, further rate hikes. They said the labour market remains on the tight side and wage pressures persist. Again, another focus for central banks, something they would have hoped for more progress on. Uh, and they also said near-term inflation and corporate pricing behavior are normalizing only gradually. So again, just repeated references to the fact that they are seeing progress, but the progress is maybe more gradual than they were anticipating and that they are comfortable with. And there are still um, concerns that uh, that there's upside risks uh, to uh, their their outlook uh, and therefore very, being very explicit in that they may need to raise rates again. So I think that's where the hawkish element really uh, stems from, but I'm still of the view that they're not going to raise again. I, th I think central banks have now hit the point that they are comfortable with and they will only raise again if they feel like they absolutely have to because I think they're very aware now that they are in kind of economy-breaking territory and they don't want to do unnecessary damage. So I think they're very apprehensive and I think, they I think in many cases you're going to see them hold on uh, at least for a couple of meetings unless they feel like they've got no other choice but to start raising rates again. And hopefully they will get the evidence they need not to. Uh, with the ECB tomorrow, I think the hawkish hold is what we're probably going to get. And and what that mean what I mean by that is at the last meeting they were almost they were almost uh, very they were almost uncharacteristically explicit in their laying out what's to follow and what i mean by that is they raised interest rates one more time but they effectively said uh we're not going to raise again at the next meeting this is a hold from here on in unless we deem it necessary to raise rates again uh, so that's very uncharacteristic uh so it, a hold tomorrow is almost entirely priced into the markets at this point i think yesterday it was like 99.8 percent chance um so i mean the, this is almost entirely priced in at this stage but we can expect a lot more of the rates will need to remain high for long uh, mantra uh, that many central banks have gone with because they want to reinforce the message that this does not mean that the easing cycle is going to begin anytime soon although i really wouldn't be surprised if it does because we are seeing progress on inflation we are seeing germany probably heading for a double dip recession having just got out of a recession the euro area is probably heading for a recession uh the economic figures are not good and the ecb are going to be very aware of that so i think come the turn of the year we may start to see a little bit of a different tone from the ecb but right now it knows that if it, as soon as it takes its foot off the brake, or as soon as it gives the impression it's going to take the foot off the brake, the market's going to leap on that and undo some of their tightening efforts in the bond markets. So I think that hawkish hold is um, something we're going to see a repeat performance of. Okay, guys, thank you very much for joining us today. We will speak to you again very soon. Market Insights, the Market Pulse podcast by Oanda.